chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. I want to look at one verse. Just one verse. Verse 19. It's good to see you, you all come out today. I know there's a lot of people out because of the, the weather or, or they got blocked in because of uh, a snow plow in the middle of the road or something like that. It's uh, some wild stuff happening today. So we appreciate you coming on out. Amen? Proverbs 27, 19 says this. As in water, face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. Now, that is powerful in that scripture. See, there is one thing that God is interested in capturing in your life. Just one thing. And that one thing is our heart. He's interested in your heart. God desires for us as Christians to have an undivided heart. For some reason, that, that word kept coming to that phrase, undivided heart. Say, undivided heart. He wants our heart to be undivided because the Word of God says that God is a jealous God. Is He not? It does, it does say that. Well, Jesus put it this way in Mark 12, verse 30. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. See, here's the deal with the heart. If God is the first priority in your heart, he'll be the first priority in every area of your life. If your heart is out of order, your whole life will be out of order. Every part of it. Every part of it. And that's why God wants us to have an undivided heart. He wants our whole heart. Say whole heart. But if, if your heart is aligned properly, your priorities are in line, everything in your life will line up and fall into place. I guarantee you that. How can I be so confident and say that? Because the Word of God says it. Amen? So today I want to help you to identify and understand what takes place in the heart of man. What, what is the heart? What, what, do I, what am I talking about? And then I want to talk about the importance of keeping your heart and guarding your heart. So today I entitled this message, Revealing the Heart. I want to reveal to you what the heart is, all right? Now, when I talk about the heart, the heart of man, I'm not talking about the physical pump in your chest. Amen? I'm not talking about your physical pump in your chest. The Hebrew word... That's translated heart is spelled L-E-B. And I think it, lev it's pronounced as, or le, lab or lev, L-E-V-H it's pronounced as, whatever. And it's defined as this, as intellect, awareness, mind, inner person, inner feelings, deepest thoughts, and inner self. Let me say that again. Heart is defined as intellect, awareness, mind, inner person, inner feelings or emotions, deepest thoughts, and inner self. Now, by this definition, it, it seems as if that, that heart then would fit into both the spirit and soul of an individual. The, now, the soul is the mind, will, and emotions, we know that. We know that we're a spirit being, right? The real us, we're a spirit being. We have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a physical body. It's, some scriptures that talk about the heart seem to point to the spirit of man, while others seem to point to the soul, or mind, will, and emotions. Have you ever noticed that when you come across the, the word heart in the Bible? It, it, it seems to point to both. Well, the reason that the word heart seems to imply the spirit and soul of an individual is because the spirit and soul are closely connected. They're very closely connected. In fact, when you and I pass away from this earth, our spirit and soul are going to, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're gonna, your spirit and soul is going up, going to heaven. If, if not, your spirit and soul is going down to hell. But 
Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions are connected to your spirit man. Did you know that? It's connected. Well, what biblical proof do I have on that? Is that just my opinion? No. This is proven in the biblical account of Lazarus in the rich man. Remember that? Lazarus and the rich man. After they both died, they both still had emotions. One in, heaven, one in the bosom of Abraham and one in, in the pit. Are you hearing me? They still had emotions. In fact, they still had remembrance of everything that they did on the earth. That's your soul, mind, will, and emotions. So your spirit and soul are very closely connected. So let's go through some scriptures and talk about the heart. Specifically right now, I want to talk about what are some of the characteristics of the heart? What, what's the importance of the heart? Why, why is this topic so important? Why, why does God put so much emphasis and importance on the heart of man? Well, number one, faith and doubt are both of the heart. Faith and doubt, they both originate in the heart of man. And now listen, you can't have both. You either have faith or you have doubt in your heart. Amen? All right. Now go to Mark eleven twenty three. Let me show you this. Very popular scripture. Mark eleven twenty three. Faith and doubt are both of the heart, and it's proven right here in this scripture. Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Oh, okay, well, if you can doubt in your heart and we're supposed to believe, where is the belief or the faith going to reside then? In the heart. But believes that those things that he's that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Faith and doubt are both of the heart. Romans 10, 8 through 10 says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe or have faith in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And lastly, let me show you something in Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 38. This is important now. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38 says this. Then Philip, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him, to a eunuch, to a man. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart you may and he answered and said i believe that jesus christ is the son of god so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized now one thing i just want to point out about that is the requirement for water baptism see infant baptism is not even scriptural because the requirement is that someone is at the age of accountability or old enough to make their own decision. Not mommy or daddy making it for them. Are you hearing me? All right. So just stick that in your memory bank. All right. Next. Sin is conceived in the heart of man. The Bible says. Go to Matthew chapter 5. See, what I'm saying is, some scriptures, we can't be concrete on this because some scriptures point to the spirit of man then some point to the soul of man you see if someone tells you they have it all figured out they're either lying or they're deceived are you hearing me 
All we can do is, is give the biblical scriptures and evidence and draw from these things. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. The words are in red. This is Jesus speaking. He said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, here's the thing, people. Before doing any physical act of sin, the thoughts and motives of the heart can make us cross the line of sin. Did you catch that? The thoughts and motives of our heart can make us cross that line before any physical act of sin takes place. Go to uh, Acts chapter 8. This is an interesting account. Acts chapter 8. Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? It just, Sundays don't feel the same when we don't gather together and hear the word and praise the Lord together corporately, amen? Acts 8, 14 through 23. This is, a, this is a pretty cool account here of stuff I want to pick out about the heart of man. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so revival broke out in Samaria in the city, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hey, there's some evidence for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? They received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were baptized in water, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit baptism yet. This is New Testament after the cross, people. Amen? Verse 17. Then they, Peter and John, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit baptism. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought, say thought, that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. My goodness, people, there is a lot of, of meat in the scripture talking about the heart. Basically, there was a man named Simon that got saved under Philip's ministry in Samaria, or somewhere, I'm pretty sure it'd be Samaria. Before he got saved, he was a sorcerer. He was into the occult. And Simon began to follow and watch people getting saved. He, he seen the apostles lay hands on the people, and, and people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when Simon seen Peter and John lay their hands on the new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit baptism, Simon offered to pay money for that gift or that ministry. And then he said in verse 19, give me this power. I want this power that anyone who I lay my hands on, yeah, they'll receive the same gift because, hey, look at me, look at me. I want this power. Peter rebuked him for even thinking such a thing in his heart. And he told him, Simon, your heart is not right toward God. See, the motives of Simon's heart was wrong. The motives and thoughts of his heart, they were evil. And according to verse 22, when our heart isn't right toward God, the answer is repentance. Did you, did you catch that? You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Verse 22 jumps right in and says, repent therefore. So repentance then is the cure for a wrong heart. Are you, did you catch that? And then Peter says a very interesting thing in verse 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. 
and bound by iniquity. Now this is interesting. This account with Simon shows us how Christians, and come on, specifically newly saved Christians, can bring worldly and evil mindsets into the body of Christ. Did you catch? Now, the reason I, I know any Christian can do that, but the reason I say newly saved Christian is because Simon was newly saved. This, this guy was a baby in the Lord. He just got saved. And he was following, watching things. And, and some of the mindsets that he had from when he was a sorcerer in the occult. Oh, because listen, everything with people in the occult, you know what it's all about? Power. I, I want power. Now listen to me. He takes that mindset from what he had as a sorcerer in the occult and he drags it with him, drags that baggage into him, uh, into him, in, into his Christian walk, because he's a newly saved Christian. Sad thing to say is a lot of people who aren't newly saved still bring in the stuff, and they never got rid of it. Are you hearing me? But this goes to show how crucial it is for us to disciple them. Newly saved Christians. It, this shows us how important it is for discipleship in the body of Christ. Amen? And to teach them the word of God. And to help them to renew their mind. I find that interesting. Some dude who is in the occult, he pulls this same power mindset into his Christian walk. Amen? Now, it's possible... He said, Peter said, for I see, Simon, that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. It's possible for your heart to be poisoned and defiled. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. This is interesting. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> I know, you know, the reason I say this about this is about the heart that, you know, some things we don't have everything figured out. All we can do is take the scriptures and, and look at the evidence. Because, I mean, you know, I, in the past I've been teaching that where, where it says heart, a lot of times it's just referring to the spirit of man. Well, studying the scriptures, I've got to take a step back and say, Lord, some scriptures are pointing to the spirit and some are pointing to the soul. Because they're joined together. They're joined together. Hebrews 12 14 through 16. This is interesting. It says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest any, anyone fall short of the grace of God. It's possible to fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. He's not talking about unbelievers there, people. This is a letter to Christians. This is a warning for us Christians. Verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane, profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright or blessing. <clears throat> what I want to pull out of this is this. If you are pursuing peace with others and pursuing a life of holiness with God, a right living, you will protect your heart from becoming defiled. Did you catch that? See, a root of bitterness in your heart, that's where the root of bitterness springs up, is in the heart of man. A root of bitterness in your heart will cause, it says in here, trouble. Trouble in your life. Why? Because you are in sin with bitterness in your heart. Bitterness in your heart, let's not sugarcoat it, it's sin, right? Because when you have that in your heart, and you're, you're, you're in sin because of those wrong, come on, emotions, you then willingly place yourself on the devil's territory, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Are you following me? All right. Now, here's something else I want to point out about that scripture. Verse 16, 
is the end result of the effects of verse 15. Look at your Bible. Okay. Verse, let me say it again. Verse 16 is the end result of the effects of doing verse 15. Let's read 16 first. It said, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright or blessing. All right, that's the result of doing what? Let's look at 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many cause defile, be defiled. See, this is a picture of a backslidden Christian that is willing and blinded enough to pass up God's spiritual blessings, things that really matter in life, for natural and worldly things. See, Esau was willing to give Jacob his blessing for a little food, for a natural thing. Now, is that not a picture of a backslidden Christian who lost sight? They, their, their spiritual vision got so blurry, they're willing to sell out the spiritual blessings of God for the junk that's in the world. Amen? Isn't that good? That's, that's some meat right there. Now, obviously, Esau put very little importance on the things of God. Friend, when you put very little importance on things of God, your heart's not right with God. The condition of your heart will determine your actions. We need to guard our heart. Amen? Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let's show you something else here. How sin is conceived in the heart of man. Acts 5 verses 3 and 4. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing? Or why have you birthed this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. That's interesting. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Well, didn't it just say that Satan filled his heart? Did it, did it say that? But then he says, why have you conceived this thing? I'll tell you why. Because the temptation is not the sin. When the enemy puts a thought in your mind, that's not the sin. The sin is when you take hold of that thing and you conceive it yourself. Did you catch that? Oh my, that, that's powerful point right there. The temptation. So many people are walking around and feeling condemned and, and because they're saying, oh, these, these thoughts come into my mind. I don't want them, but there's thoughts. Well, God's mad at me because, well, no, not necessarily the case. The, the, if it's the enemy throwing these things in, that's not a sin. You need to take hold of that thing, cast it down. Are you hearing me? The sin is when you take hold of it, you meditate, you think upon that thing, and you make it your own thought. That will set somebody free hearing that. Are you hearing me? But listen, everything, everything in the new covenant, I say this a lot, everything in the new covenant deals with the heart of man. Because the heart, if you will, is central command of your mind, will, and emotions. Like I said, the spirit and soul are very closely connected. Can't separate them. In fact, you can't even separate, well, the Word of God can, sharper than any two-edged sword. But listen to me, you go to heaven or hell, your, your spirit and soul, they're both going. But listen, under the old covenant, there was no opportunity for a spiritual heart transplant. Under the old covenant, 
I said the, old, the new covenant, everything deals with the heart. You, you read the Gospels, read the, the, every part of the New Testament, it's dealing with the heart. But in the old covenant, there was no opportunity for a spiritual heart transplant. That's why a constant theme in the book of Psalms The psalmist is constantly crying out, Lord, create in me a clean and pure heart. Are you hearing me? I'm talking about they didn't have a spiritual heart transplant in the Old Covenant. The psalmist constantly knew. And and the psalmist knew that that could only be accomplished when the Messiah, Jesus, came to the earth to redeem mankind through his blood. That's why they're constantly in, in the Old Covenant. They're constantly, Lord, send the Messiah. We need the Messiah. You know, it's interesting how desperate that people in the Old Testament were for him. But people, Christians now, we put very little importance on the Messiah. Are you hearing me? But how much they long to have him. That's why the Bible says, that, that's why the Bible says that's, you know, they, they long for it. They long for him, the Messiah to come. Amen? And now he came. The blessings, we can tap into it. But we, many times, if we'll be honest with our own heart, we put very little importance on it and we get spiritually lazy, right? All right? So, go to Ezekiel 36. I'm talking about a spiritual heart transplant. Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ah, now that's dedication. Showing up at 11.35. Amen. Give them a hand for that. That's good stuff. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's, that's, that's motivating. Now, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. This is interesting. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Notice you need both. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you, help you, be your helper, be your comforter, to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, listen. This scripture in the Old Testament, old, under the Old Covenant, is prophesying what will take place in a person's heart in the New Covenant when they make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not only do we get a new heart, but we also get the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit, it says, will cause us to walk in God's statutes and to keep Him and to keep them. In a nutshell, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. Does that sound familiar? So that you can have the ability, say ability, to be a doer of the word. Because how many of you know, even though you're a Christian, new new heart, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit in you, how many of you know in our free will we can walk away from God? The Bible says we can fall from grace. Right? So don't think, you see, oh, this once saved, always saved, this stuff, it's, it's a lie from the pits of hell. The Bible's very clear. That's a whole other sermon. That's why I, as a pastor, I, I just, I, you know, in my own life and in, in the life of the people who sit under me is why I, I, I'm so passionate of diligently seek your heart, examine your heart daily. Amen? All right, so, We can have the ability to be a doer of the word of God. And Jesus paid that price with his own blood on the cross. That we can live that supernatural life. Or as 2 Peter 1 says, to be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Right? Verse 28 says this of Ezekiel 36. says, you shall be my people. And I will be your God. This is covenant talk. 
Now, if for some reason maybe some of you are, are having a problem with covenant and all that, well, marriage is a covenant. Let me ask you this. If, if one person, uh, can one person do their part only and can you have a healthy marriage? No, you can't. What, what, what does it take? Both parties have to do their part, and that's when God's purposes can be fulfilled. Amen? So, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's covenant talk. Both parties have a responsibility in the matter. And the only way that we can be his people is if we have that heart transplant. And we're willing to follow and obey God. Amen? All right, now, let's talk a little bit more about the heart, some more characteristics. The Word of God says that we consider things in our heart. We meditate in our heart. It says we even commune with ourselves in our heart. Go to Psalm 19.14. I hope I'm shedding some light on what the heart is, what takes place in the heart, what's the importance of it. Psalms 19.14 says this, Let the words of my mouth and the, there it is, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Go to Psalm 77.6. Psalm 77 verse 6 says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my own heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. See, when you're talking to yourself, you know how you, you, you can hear your voice on the inside of you, you talk to yourself on the inside? That's taking place in your heart. That's taking place in your heart. Uh, meditation of the Word of God takes place in your heart. You know, you know when you get, a, get a, a, a mental picture of something, you're daydreaming? God gives you some kind of a spiritual vision on the inside? That's taking place in your heart. I'm just trying to give you a clue. What, what's taking place in your heart? So, I want to challenge each one of you in this place and listening to me on the internet and radio. I want to challenge you to make an on-purpose, conscious effort to meditate on the Word of God and the things of God. I'm, 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 talking, I'm not just talking just a passing thought once an hour. I, I mean, take, I, I'm challenging you now. I want you to take a day. I, I wish you'd do this all the time, which you will if you'll start to practice this. But take a day from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed Make a conscious effort, effort to think of scriptures constantly, constantly. Uh, uh, e even just thinking about the, the instance, the accounts in the Gospels where Jesus healed people and all. Keep these things. Keep them in the midst of your heart all day long. I guarantee you that will revolutionize your spiritual life. I guarantee you, your spiritual temperature will go from here all the way to here because you're retaining God in the Word of God in your heart, in your mind, all day long. It's when we don't do that is when our guard is down and that's when we can step into sin. Are you hearing me? This is so crucial. Next, the difference between pure worship or vain or meaningless worship, the Word of God says, is based on the condition of your heart. Go to Mark chapter 7. Hallelujah. I'm revealing the heart today. Revealing the heart, exposing the things of the heart. Mark 7, verses 6 through 7. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, he, the he's capitalized, is talking about Jesus. He answered and said to them, to the religious people, the Pharisees, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people, the, the people, this people honors me, 
with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the commandments of men. See, when our heart is disconnected from God and you engage in worship or you sing a song, the Word of God says that's vain worship. That's meaningless worship. In other words, you know what God is literally saying? He said, I'd rather you just keep your mouth shut and get your heart right with me first before you sing this song to me. Why? Because God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. God wants us as his people to connect with him spirit to spirit. Heart to heart. And if that thing is severed off, God says, you know what? Don't even sing this song to me. Don't even raise your hands because you know what? It's not, it's not even getting as high as the ceiling. He wants us to connect with him spirit to spirit, heart to heart. And that can only be accomplished when, according to Hebrews 12, when you, come on, pursue peace with others and pursue a life of holiness without which, the Bible says, no man will see God. Without those things active in your life, pursuing peace with others and living a life of holiness, without those things in your life, everything in your li life, come on, this is just the truth. It's hard, but it's true. It's tight, but it's right. Everything in your life is just a stench in the nostrils of God. Are you hearing me? And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, he said, if a brother has something against you, or you've done something to offend your brother, we are to leave our gift on the altar. And we are to leave that place. Come on now. We are to go make it right with that individual and then present our gift to the Lord. Think about that. Isn't that powerful? God says, I, you know what? If your, your peace with others is not right, if your life of holiness is not right, I, I don't even want your gift. Because why? He says, as your heavenly father, I care more about your heart. Then bring your gift. The fact is this. If your relationships are not right with others because of offense or whatever, your relationship with God is not right. Because a life of holiness, if you're living a holy life, that includes your, your relationship with others. In other words, you can't say you're living a holy life and treat people like dirt. Are you hearing me? Because holiness is our relationship with others, holiness is strongly connected in that. That is why it's vain or worthless to worship when your heart's disconnected with God, when you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Next, go to Luke chapter 6. Jesus compares our heart. This is interesting. Jesus compares our heart with a tree. Well, what's that all about, Jesus? Comparing our heart to a tree. Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. Listen to this. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns. Nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man or person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. Brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, 
his mouth speaks. Jesus tells us that a tree is known by its fruit. You can walk up to a tree and, man, if that fruit is just, that's it's terrible stuff, you can know this tree is not good. Something's not right. Something's not right here. This tree has not been taken care of properly. Jesus is telling us that we can determine the condition of our heart and the heart of others, in fact, by two things. By a person's actions and the words that come out of their mouth. The actions of a person and the words that come out of their mouth equal your fruit. Jesus said that the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It, it's almost like a teapot, you know, you, that thing's sitting there simmering and, and it, you turn it on, you put it on there and nothing comes out at first. But my goodness, that thing starts to boil and get hot. All of a sudden that steam comes out and... Why? Because that steam was the abundance in that thing, and it came out. The abundance of your heart, that's the words you speak. Isn't that interesting? Now listen to me. We are not to judge people in the sense of condemning them and saying that there's no hope for them, or judging them on the fact of having an opinion of someone without seeing the fruit first in that person's life. Listen to me now. We are called, however, to be fruit inspectors. Because, listen to me, someone might have a problem with that. What do you mean fruit inspector? That sounds like judging. Listen, because how else are we to determine as Christians who we ought to hang out with? Who we are to have really tight fellowship with if we don't judge the fruit? Think about this now. How else are we supposed to do that? The Bible tells us to avoid being unequally yoked in relationships because they will eventually put your spiritual fire out for God. Are you hearing me? This is such a basic principle throughout the Word of God. The, it's interesting when, when some of the, I'm pretty sure, when, when some of the apostles were beaten by the Pharisees and let go, it says when they were let go, it says they went to their own company. That's a powerful statement to me. My question is, who's in your company? Who are you? Now listen, I'm not saying, we need to connect with sinners. We need to connect with the unbeliever. We do. How else are they going to hear the gospel? How else are they going to get saved? But there's a difference from being around a person, sharing the gospel with them, with that motive. And not just, hey buddy, let's go and hang out at the bar tonight. Close fellowship. Are you hearing me? There's a difference. And the, the one I'm talking about is the close relationships in your life. Who you give access to in your life. Are you hearing me? See, this whole subject of judging has really got twisted in the body of Christ. See, a believer that is fornicating or gossiping or, or any kind of thing like that or, or has some other noticeable sin in their life, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, you try to confirm them, they say, don't judge me. <laughs> what they're, you, you could say to them, well, I'm not the word of God already does. See, listen. When you speak the word to someone and confront someone about a sin, you're simply the messenger of what God's word says. But sometimes they pull that card and say, don't you judge me. What they're really saying is, don't expose my sin. Don't hold me accountable to the word of God. That is what that phrase means. Elizabeth and I were watching one night on Sky Angel, a show called Bananas. Have you ever watched that before if you have Sky Angel? Yes, Christian comedy. And uh, we were watching this comedian, and he said, if you hear a person say, I go to a church where no one judged me, I can be who I want to be, the comedian said, you're not in a church, you're in a bar. 
<laughs> Are you hearing me? Friends, there's a lot of churches out there that are acting like bars. RCC is not going to be one of them. We love you. We love you enough not to let you keep going in your sin. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. Last point. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 4. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise God. I, uh, I was watching the news one night, and there was this really popular minister getting interviewed, talking about one of his books. And the interviewer sits, sits down. Now, I, my guess is, this, it's just a guess, but probably just some of, the, some of the questions that were being asked, this interviewer might not be a Christian. And... He sat down with this guy and he asked, he said, your book. And he gave these points that this book was giving out. And the interviewer looked at this minister and said, there's no mention of God in this book. There's no mention of Jesus Christ. There's no mention of sin. What's up with this? And the minister said, I don't feel that's my calling. Friend, he's in, then he's out of his calling. A preacher needs to preach the word, not be a motivational speaker only. Come on, we need to exhort people, but it needs to be in line with the word of God. Friend, oh, we are in the last days. But th this is a church that packs out every Sunday. Packs out. Proverbs 4.20. Verse 27. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Turn not to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Verse 20 tells us this, to incline our ear to the word of God, In, incline. In other words, be bent toward hearing the word of God, because there's a lot of people out there, yay, some Christians, <laughs> who have itching ears. They only want to hear what they want to hear, and they're not hearing what they need to hear. That's going to put them back on the narrow road. Are you hearing me? He, God says, incline your ear. In other words, have a desire to hear my word. Because he's, he's saying this, my child, that's the only thing that can set you free. That's the only thing that's going to bring joy, peace, and happiness, health, and prosperity in your life. Yeah. Are you hearing me? Verse 21 tells us to keep the word of God before our eyes. All right, God, you're saying something about the ears, and now you're saying something about the eyes. What's up with this? What is God trying to tell us? God is revealing to us that our ears and our eyes are the gateways to our heart. Are you hearing me? How many of you, 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 you with your eyes, you've seen a picture before, and that thing just gets plastered in your, in your, in your mind? Why? Because your eye was the gateway which stamped that thing on your heart. Are you hearing me? Faith comes by hearing by the Word of God. Doubt comes by hearing from not the Word of God. Why? Because your ear is a gate to your heart. Faith and doubt are both of the heart. Are you hearing me? 
See, we need to keep our heart with all diligence. The Bible says, for out of it, out of the heart of man, springs the issues of life. Literally, God is saying this to us. Our destiny is dependent upon the condition of our heart. And he says, you keep it. You guard it diligently. Uh, Kenneth Hagin has a teaching series called God's Garden. Your heart is like a garden. And God's given us authority and responsibility in the charge to take care of that garden. And what we, come on, plant in our garden. By what we see and what we hear. Are you hearing me? The word of God, my last point, the word of God says to ponder the path of your feet. Remove your foot from evil. Why? Because the condition of our heart, like I said, will determine our destiny. And yes, it will ultimately determine your eternal destination. Let's stand in this place. Hallelujah. God, I spoke your word today. And Lord, I pray that it fell on good ground in the hearts of the people. Now maybe there's someone in here. I, I, I see some new people and I always give an opportunity. Oh. If there's anyone in here you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never made him Lord of your life. You literally, you've never taken the step to do what Romans chapter 10, 8 and 9 through 10 say. You really have never believed in your heart. You have never confessed him as Lord from your mouth. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Don't let another day pass without making him Lord of your life. If you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to come to this, this altar. And I want to have the opportunity and the blessing to pray with you. To make Him Lord of your life. To change your destiny. Oh yeah, to change your eternal destination. Maybe you're in here, you, you said the sinner's prayer a while back, but you heard me talking about it's possible to fall from grace. And, and the once saved, always saved thing, man, that's, that's not even scriptural. If you have fallen away, if you have, your heart has disconnected from the Lord, you're in a backslidden condition, today, you're ready to pull some things up out of your heart that you don't want there, that God doesn't want there. I want you to come forward today. If you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've, you're a Christian, you love the Lord, but you've never took the step to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. Receiving the Holy Spirit baptism is, is as simple as getting saved. Everything in the kingdom of God works on faith. God says if you ask for the Holy Ghost, He's not going to give you a serpent. If you ask for a fish, He's not going to give you a serpent. Are you hearing me? If you've never received the Holy Spirit baptism, I want you to come forward and I want to pray with you. And I want to see God just marinate you into His Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Maybe you have a physical infirmity, you have a sickness, disease, and we had a healing service last night that was awesome. Maybe you didn't go, but I want to give you the opportunity. I want to pray. I want to lay hands on you. I want to see God do a work in your body and watch you recover. If you need a prayer for healing, emotional, physical, you feel you need some deliverance, you're in bondage, I want you to come forward. The rest of you, just search your heart. Just take a walk in your heart right now. Anything that's not of the Lord. Confess it as sin. Repent. Pull that thing up at the root. And let's move forward with God and let's do the work of the gospel. Turn that up, Shashi. Just lift your hands to the Lord, everyone.
things that I mentioned, if you need prayer for any of them, the altar is open. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Amen. We're family. Anybody else? Anybody else? Guys, I just feel that this was a message. This, this, this is a life-changing message. It's a, it's a message that, like I said, will determine your destiny and eventually your eternal destination. Let's not treat that lightly. Amen? Tuesday night leadership meeting. Come on out, leaders. And Wednesday night, we're going to continue with that uh, John Hagee video uh, on the, uh, uh, about political issues, the stances that the Bible takes on political issues, amen? This separation of church and state's a bunch of hogwash. We need to be involved in this stuff, amen? <laughs>